Welcome to Bit of Play, our occasional podcast about video games. Um, we're going to be talking today about two games that we've been playing a bit recently. Um, Daniel, you've gotten really deep into Bloodborne, which is a new PS4 exclusive game, and I've been playing the uh, Baldur's Gate equivalent modern day of Pillars of Eternity. One has more blood than the other. Yes. You'll never guess which. Uh, it's the Pillars of Eternity. Yeah. The, um, Who knew? Who knew? I mean, I mean, we kind of gave it away by, by saying that it would, you'd never guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that in itself was a clue. Well. In any case. We're not great at scavenger hunting. <laughs> Just as humans. Unfortunately. Um, but uh, we're not going to make you hunt for... Uh, for, for clues. Uh, for, for clues into our first game. And that's going to be Bloodborne. So, Daniel, you've been playing a lot of Bloodborne. What is Bloodborne? Bloodborne is an enigma. Okay. I mean, like, it's very much like the other games that we played and we mention a lot in this show. Right. Okay, so Bloodborne is, to to not be a jerk, Bloodborne is a new game from From Software, specifically Mm -hmm. the From Software team that handles the Dark Souls games. Right. Um, And more specifically than that, a a From Software game directed by a man named Hidetaka Miyazaki, who is the director of Dark Souls and the executive producer of Dark Souls 2, and the current president of From Software. Right. Uh, Miyazaki has a very specific style of game, which could basically be described as a game like Dark Souls. Um, <laughs> or Demon Souls, if you want to get a little bit more, move a little bit backwards. You, they're, they're euphemistically called the Souls series. Right. So you are a person, and you are dropped in this world with very little explanation for what you do, what you are, or who you are, or what you do, or where you're going. And you fight your way through impossible battles to get to the end. And the games are very much about sort of a passive level of co-op where you kind of leave notes for other players uh, combined with a level of methodical action-based RPG gameplay with really complicated leveling up system and very careful, careful, intricate enemy and level design. They're fundamentally kind of a very very old school western role playing game right. for those for those that, who, whom that means anything right but with a very specific as but as opposed to a focus on kind of first person action they're a little bit more focused on a little slightly more methodical strategy to a certain extent yeah. um bloodborne kind of takes a step away from dark souls and demon souls and dark souls 2 which are very kind of high fantasy set games very traditional rpg looking to a certain extent and moves to sort of gothic neo victorian look uh, in almost like right on the cusp of the industrial revolution, right? Um, gray, gray brick building, gray brick building, cobblestone streets, uh, a lot of fire and flintlock pistols, um, a lot of kind of gas street lamps, but no real, you know, significant huge leaps in technology quite yet. Almost pre World War One to a certain extent, right. um, but mixed with survival horror. So okay, so if you've played any of their Dark Souls games, what are the immediate Dark Souls, Demon Souls, whatever? What are the immediate differences? So immediately you'll notice that the game moves a lot quicker. Your character is a lot lighter on their feet, no matter kind of what build you go for. Your character is by default very breezy to a certain extent. Uh, your backstep almost feels like you know, the first thing I noticed that the backstep just hitting the circle button on a PlayStation controller, or I believe um, B on an Xbox controller, feel uh, which I mean doesn't apply on Bloodborne, but whatever, um, is like twice as long. And as a, and um, your dodge roll move takes you a while, but when you're locked onto an enemy, your dodge roll becomes this really fast, like, flash step almost. Like, you move instantly to the next place. And so your character feels this much more dynamic. The other big difference, and it's a huge difference for non-Souls players, is that there are not really any shields. Right. 
So the traditional Dark Souls method to getting through a game, especially if you're a newcomer, is the uh, tired and true plank and spank. You carry a shield in one hand, a sword in the other, and you hold your shield up in front of your face until you see an opening, and then you just make one little nick with your sword and go back to shielding. Right. Um, Bloodborne doesn't let you get away with that. There I mean, is there is one shield. There is one shield, which uh, drains all of your stamina if you block an attack with it. Um, oh, it's, that's so goofy. It's exclusively for parrying, I think, but it's there specifically to make fun of Dark Souls players. Um, the, I think the quote there is, the shields are great so long as they don't engender passivity. The, the idea being that you're not allowed to hide behind a shield. Instead, your shields are replaced on your offhand with firearms. Firearms that generally speaking, stun an enemy. They don't do very much damage. They're not quite like guns as they are in a third-person shooter or a first-person shooter. The, the way guns work is that, is that when an enemy's swinging for their attack, right as the downswing begins, you're meant to shoot them, which stuns them and puts them on their knees, almost like a parry does in Dark Souls, which opens them up for a huge thing called a visceral attack, which drains like, you know, I think four or five times your basic attack power, usually enough to kill most of anything you come across. Um... It's a really powerful move, and the game really starts becoming about this dodge and weave and shooting right as the timing hits and coming in for a visceral attack. Okay, so <clears throat> this game doesn't have as quite the variety of weapons as, as um, the Upper Souls games are known for, but what is your current layout? So my current layout is actually the same weapons I've been using since the very beginning of the game. I'm running the threaded cane because I'm using a skill build as opposed to a strength build. Okay, what is so what does the cane do? The cane is a sword cane. It's a cane with a very pointed end and sharp edges that I swing around like a sword and can stab, thrust kind of thing. And if I slam it on the ground using the transform button, it becomes a whip. Okay. Which gives me a little bit more range, which is convenient because uh, it's a relatively short weapon. And most weapons in this game are relatively short. But the whip, when it goes into long mode, is much quicker than most other weapons like long range modes. Have you found out you've been using the gun a lot? I have been using the gun almost constantly. Okay. Uh, as a skill build, my character doesn't do a lot of damage. The thing with my character is that they're very, very light on their feet. They dodge really well and they can combo really well. Uh, skill weapons often don't take very much of the stamina bar to swing. So I can get really long combos in. And my strategy has very much relied on watching an enemy for patterns and shooting them at right just the right second. I've been combining the um, the whip or the sword with the shotgun as opposed to the pistol. I've been going for a spread because it stuns more enemies at the same time and lets me swing my whip around five or six of them at once. Uh, it's a much more effective crowd control tool than I've ever had in a Dark Souls game. Um, the weapon selection is limited. I actually find the game is limited in a lot of selections. There are, I think, maybe 15 to 20 trick weapons, as opposed to the, like, hundreds of weapons Dark Souls offered before. Now, all the weapon trick weapons are very different from one another, as opposed to Dark Souls, where they're very minor variations. Right, it was just, a, like, this This plus one, or... Exactly. Um, or, this is the sword, this version sword, this does fire, this version <laughs> sword does ice, that kind of thing. Um, but... There are also less armor and less items. There's a lot less of everything for picking up, which, I mean, ostensibly streamlines things, but I do find it kind of limits the games in a lot of ways. Now, the, the thing that always makes Dark Souls kind of interesting is the mystery to it. Mm -hmm. um, and blood, from the tales you've been telling me over Skype, um, Bloodborne has no end of, of mystery, including a portal that opens up at random spaces, um, the some, being dragged off to prison at one point. Has it continued to become even more bizarre? I've ha I have no clue what is happening in Bloodborne. Uh, at one point, and slight spoilers for this boss, but I walked up to a boss and it was this woman who was praying, and all of a sudden she turned into a giant deer monster. And I'm not a thousand percent sure why. I have an inkling. Um, 
there was a point where I was hanging out in an area I've already been to and a portal opened up so I walked near it and an invisible arm picked me up and crushed me and slammed me on the floor and I woke up with one health and more of a of a, of a stat called insight which you get from meeting a boss uh, I asked somebody what that was and they said you won't believe me even if I told you <laughs> so yeah at one point I saw this enemy that was unusual for the area it was in and instead of killing me it put me in a bag and dragged me off to prison I don't quite know what that was about. So is this mystery making you more intrigued about the world you're in, or does it just seem random at this point? Right now it seems deeply random. I don't quite... How far are you into the game? I'm not that far. I'm out on boss five or six, which okay. is not too, too far. It's, I've, I've beaten the first... I basically, I've made my way out of Yarnum, which is the game's starting area, and I'm into the forests uh, and the areas beyond the forest, the Hemwick Charnel. Um... But I've not quite made it beyond that at this point, just because I haven't had a lot of time. The thing that strikes me the most about it, in terms of like the way it lays out its plot and stuff, is that, like Dark Souls, it doesn't tell you a lot. But unlike Dark Souls, I have a pretty good idea of what's happening. I know that the reason I'm going to this village is because I'm seeking something out. Right now, I'm seeking out, I think it's called the, the Breganmore Spider, or the Breganwish Spider. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Um, I know I'm looking for it, and I know where it is, but I don't know where that place is supposed to be. And I don't know why I'm going there. All I know is that I've come to the town to join the hunt and cure myself of something. But I don't know what that is. All I know is that I was I was given a blood transfusion, and that seems to be able to make me part of the hunt now. Okay. And other people who have been given the blood transfusion have gone mad and turned into monsters. Hmm. So, you, it, I mean, that's kind of interesting, given that, like, in a lot of these other games, you're not you're not really marked as special in mm-hmm. any way. I mean, in, in Dark Souls and Dark Souls Two, it's like, hey, you're to this world, and there's a whole bunch of other people who came well, here and failed. To be fair, in Dark Souls, you are very explicitly labeled out by the plot as the chosen undead. Yeah, but like the reason you're, ch- it's not like you're chosen by some mythical being. Like you make yourself chosen right. because you succeed through this game. Exactly. V- by Everybody's the- on the same quest. Exactly, yeah, effectively. But you seem like you're kind of alone on this. Yeah, I. There are some NPCs, but none of them. Like I'll put it this way: the other NPCs are other hunters. But unlike in Dark Souls, where it's very clear to understand what each undead's motivation is, I don't quite understand what every hunter's motivation is. Right. They they seem a lot more distinct from each other than the undead. Did, but I don't quite know. For example, I met uh, a woman named Aileen the Crow. She is a hunter of hunters who hunts down hunters who have gone crazy. And I don't quite know why. There's this guy I've met. I can't remember. I don't know his name yet. But he also shoots down hunters who enter his basically his turf. I don't know why. Uh, there's, there's this guy I met from the church who was talking to me just fine. He doesn't. I don't know if he's a hunter yet, but he seems, again, he seems pretty sane for this crazy world where everybody else is going mad. There's also the fact that uh, there's a lot less visible NPCs. Most yeah. of the NPCs are behind doors, aren't they? Yes, most of the NPCs are behind these glowing red doors that you can just sort of knock on. And, and what the characters say as you knock on the doors change over time, which makes it interesting to return to areas and talk to different people. And they'll say different things and maybe even give you different items. But at the same time, it's like it's hard for me to remember where most of these people are, which is sort of Bloodborne's biggest problem. So what would you say is your your takeaway from the game your experience so far? Is this how does this compare to the other games in the series and how's the the story kind of laying itself out for you? I'm very early in the game and I'm very early in my appreciation for the game. And usually usually I I don't quite feel a Dark Souls game until I'm the second time through it. 
But as it stands, I'm much more excited about what ideas Dark Souls 3 incorporates from Bloodborne than I am about a theoretical Bloodborne 2. What, what about Dark, um, Dark Souls 3 do you think could take from this game? I feel like the emphasis on aggression is something really exciting and vital and, and makes the series feel a lot more dynamic at times. Bloodborne, there's a, there's a thing where when you get hit in Bloodborne, you can immediately regain the health you lost by hitting the enemy back. Now, this is a great idea, but the problem with it is that it encourages you to wildly swing your sword, not be careful and aggressive, not to pinpoint your strikes. So, whereas swinging your sword around like a maniac would just get you killed, I feel like I could see something really interesting coming out of Dark Souls. I think limiting your health and shooting items is really interesting and exciting and tense, but I also think like grinding for health vials and quicksilver bullets is maybe the most annoying thing in this game. Something that Dark Souls never had to deal with. So, I mean, like, one parts of the, the thing with Dark Souls is that, like, the translation is bad, and that's what makes the games hard. Does Bloodborne have the same issues of just being, like, obtuse because someone went, someone did something stupid? Bloodborne seems to be obtuse mostly because it doesn't seem to quite tell you where to go. I've gotten lost a lot, and I think that's a fault. Not because the game doesn't say anything, because I know generally where I'm going. And the levels are designed to lead me the direction I have to go. It's a relatively linear game. You can skip around in places, but it's relatively linear. What's crazy is that it's not quite... What's the word I'm looking, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the big problem is not how the way the levels are designed, but it's the aesthetics of the levels. The entire city looks identical, and it's impossible to find your way around. I finally made it to a forest, and the forest is very distinct. But every other part of the city I've been to up to this point just looks the same. I don't quite know where the girl who lost her mother and father is. I have an item to give her, but I don't know where she is. I can't remember, and every house looks the same. I don't know where the guy who gave me the flamethrower is. I want to see if he wants to give me something else. I have no clue where he lives. Is there, I mean, are there ways to make markers to remind you where things are? Is you there can, a good indication of where you should have left a marker? You can leave a coin, which is an item you can buy. Um, but the problem with the coins is that they seem to disappear when you die. That's oh. been my experience. So That's I weird. don't quite understand their purpose. They might not disappear. That might have just been like my game glitching out on me. But I left a coin somewhere, and it was not there when I came back. I left it very specifically to see what the coins did, and it was not there when I came back to it after turning on the game again. The um, <clears throat> Have you messed with the multiplayer at all? A little bit. I think its multiplayer system is bad. Oh. I actively think it... But what about those systems do so, you think is bad? Okay, so I'm going I'm to just sort of explain how it works, and then I'll, I'll get into the problems. Bloodborne, how it works, is that there are three, two, three major Rati plays items. There's the bell of Re- the bell of resonance, mm-hmm. the white resonance bell, and the red re- and the cracked resonance bell. White bell is for co-op, red bell is for PvP, and the resonant bell is to summon people into your game for co-op. Mm-hmm. Ring of the bell costs an insight, which isn't that big a deal because you get insight constantly for beating bosses, and you can buy insight basically. The problem is that. Unlike Dark Souls, where you leave a note for other players to summon you, there's no way to tell how many people are looking. So you can ring the bell, spend your insight, and get no answers for a while. It take, Matchmaking takes a long time. And unlike Dark Souls, where I can immediately see who's supposed to be coming and wait for them, I don't know who's coming in Bloodborne. And they won't get summoned if I'm already in the boss arena when they show up. So there's a big problem of the multiplayer becomes too passive. Now, it's really nice that they actually allow co-op with a person you know. As opposed to just like, hey, we're both in the same area, hopefully we'll click the co-op button and we'll be together at the same time. 
but at the same time, it's like that's a really good step forward. It's been something I would love to see in Dark Souls Three, but it doesn't work without knowing exactly how many people are available for co for co op. It works better when. As the host, I am looking for people to join my game as opposed to a host opening a room and saying, I don't know, join if you want. <clears throat> well, okay. So if if there was uh, – if the, what, what are you thinking towards uh, completing this game? What, are your, what do you hope to see? I want to see more enemy variety. There are not a lot of enemies in this game, and it's disappointing because I was so excited about Dark Souls that going to the area and thinking, boy, I have no idea what's here. It's going to drive me crazy. I've seen the same five or six enemies again and again and again and again and again. And variations on those enemies. Like, there are wolves with blades in their faces in the forest, but they're just the dogs from the city with swords in their faces. It's, it would be far more interesting if there was a lot more enemy variety. I'm also hoping to see different kinds of areas. The forest is much more exciting to me than the city right. in terms of aesthetics. I'm hoping to see that just sort of, like, build itself up. Mm-hmm. But perhaps what I'm hoping to see most is I really do want to see what they I want to see where this game goes with its plot because I really don't understand a thing. The uh, so if someone were want to get into the Soul series, these kinds of games, do you think this is a good starting point, or where else should they go? I think this is a good start if only because it's probably the most accessible of all of them. I mean, a it's brand new, but and it's got the most online going right now. But perhaps more importantly than that, the regain system is effective. It really does work for making the game feel more surmountable. The enemies aren't quite as difficult. The The old tri- tri- tried, and, tried and true shield not being there allows them to make fights a little less complicated because you're not hiding behind your shield all the time. Things do a little less damage. You can survive just a little longer. And because of that, it feels a lot more rewarding um, for a new player. For I think for a veteran player, I feel like the game could be harder in a lot of places. I feel like their bosses are like, this is a great design, but this thing could have done a little bit more damage to me. So from one Western RPG to another, um, this uh, the game I've been playing recently is Pillars of Eternity, which is yes. the new game from Obsidian. You uh, are going to need to explain what Pillars of Eternity is to me. Okay, so Pillars of Eternity... Is uh, it an enigma? <laughs> it's not actually that much of an enigma. It is massive, however. Mm-hmm. So um, Pillars of Eternity is from Obsidian. They, uh, you know the kinds of game they make. They are very traditional Western RPGs. They've made uh, the sequels to Fallout. They made South, the new South Park game. And they made a bunch of... Um, they make they made uh, Alpha Protocol. All of these big RPGs kind of follow a similar pattern. You know, Alpha Protocol, that hit RPG. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's one of my favorite games. The um, now they put this game up on Kickstarter. They said, "Hey, we want to make Baldur's Gate." Which, if you played Baldur's Gate, it's a very like what is that early nineties? Yeah. Um, game where you take a party. It's basically D and D. Like it's quite. It's taken from the D and D. War and campaign. Games. It may as well be a D and D campaign that they just sort of wrote. Exactly, and they said, "Okay, we want to make Baldur's Gate. We do not have the access to the D and D license or anything like that. But if you give us enough money, we will make you a video game like that." Right. And they got four million dollars, which I mean sounds impressive. That's a lot to get on Kickstarter, that is not a lot for a video game. No. But they made it's a... about a quarter, maybe, of like a small bit of video game? Yeah. Um, and it kind of shows in this in this game they made, Pillars of Eternity. So they don't have access to the D&D license. So they have their own weird lore, ba- lore and battle system that they're working mm-hmm. with. Um, some of it feels like just, oh, they replaced this thing with this thing. Um, but... Uh, 
for instance, like, oh, hey, we replaced this side. We replaced these kinds of dwarves with these kinds of dwarves. Elves are way more um, talky in this in this game. That's racist. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were waiting for an opening. As a half elf. <laughs> oh, the, the um. In any case, when you play this game, it's you'll see a lot of parallels between that and Baldur's Gate to the point that the UI looks almost the same as that. that That's game. what I noticed. Like it's mm. very Baldur's Gate looking. Yeah. To the point where I wonder if this wasn't a Baldur's game they were pitching in inter- <laughs> Baldur's Gate game they were pitching internally that they just sort of switched over. I wouldn't be surprised to be honest because the the key difference is that uh, the key difference is the battles and the ba- the only thing that, that changed up in the battles is the fact that you immediately restart your health after every fight mm-hmm. so you don't need to worry about potions long term. Um, and but over time your characters become tired mm-hmm. and so you your oh so it's a roguelike yes. So you're incentivized to uh, uh, you're incentivized to kind of camp and pace yourself right. more or less. Um, now going through this game, it <laughs> it is so easy to get lost in side quests. It is the story is kind of generic. I mean, it's what you expect from Obsidian. They tend to be they tend to be very focused in their writing, and their t- t- uh, their their writing tends to be very elaborate. And in fact, I kind of like Fallout New Vegas more than I like Fallout Three, which is the sequel that they were supposed to make, because they kind of went crazy and built their right. own. It, they built this weird corner of the Fallout universe that has nothing to do with anything, but is so much more interesting than the rest of the world. Yeah, and unfortunately, then it inevitably kind of comes back to this like, oh, there's this magic person, or oh, there was this chosen one, yeah. or oh, you're this handsome spy. Mm-hmm. But the um, this game kind of follows that. So basically, I don't know if you've ever played Mass Effect. Um, but the, have you ever heard, okay, I'm going to describe to you a setting. You, you, you're on a mission. Okay. You hit a, you, you see this thing happening that you weren't expect. Suddenly there's a bright light in the sky. Everyone around you is badly injured except for you. And now you can see dead things. Oh. (laughs) Um, does that sound familiar at all? I mean, a little. (laughs) Is this on Mars? (laughs) <laughs> it's unfortunately not on Mars. It is, in fact, on this uh, this very fantasy. This is, it, is it in Fandolin? <laughs> yeah. Neverwinter. Never. No, it's very similar to Neverwinter. Okay. Um, the uh, your basically your character is going through. You're you're supposed to go through to meet to meet to this town. There's this gilded veil that everyone is like, hey, there's free land that this this king is willing to give out. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone's kind of like hunkering down to to move over, and. Uh, on the way, you're attacked, you're ambushed, and then you're brought over, and you have to escape this, through this cave. And when you escape, um, a bri- the, something that you inexplicable happens, and your character is kind of uh, given, chosen. Chosen, given the special, makes mm-hmm. them really cool for some reason. And um, so the game is ki- kind of rolls off that. But honestly, that plot doesn't matter. It is so easy to get lost on side quests. Mm-hmm. I felt I. I wandered down. I walked into the Gilded Vale where everyone is supposed to be. By the way, when you walk into the Gilded Vale, you suddenly realize, oh, this is why there's all this free land. The king's been hanging people and putting them on a tree. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I guess I know that. It's like, but I ever saw After Earth and mm-hmm. said, oh, that bat, like humans on trees, that's pretty scary. Or they thought, oh, you know how we make this king look scary? is If he we, kills people. If he kills people. If he kills all people. The time. All the time. Um, so... Getting through, getting through there, it's kind of uh, that's an immediate side quest. It's like, how do I deal with this <laughs> this crazy king? But you're already you're at a special now, so yeah. you have like this. You you're a watcher. You have a world to save, or I assume will be. It's 
I've already gotten lost basically on this side quest of uh, going through a temple mm-hmm. in the middle of this first town that you got to. I'm like five hours into this game, um, kind of like milling around in roughly the same area. Uh, there is a lot of plot to mm-hmm. this game. It yeah. is highly concentrated amount of sh- stuff happening. Um, I cannot tell you much about what is like why I did anything mm-hmm. so much as it is like, oh, I had these a lot of these abilities. Um, I had a lot of these abilities that allowed me to open up dialogue options. By the way, if you like dialogue options, this is a game for you. There's um, if you push a number, if you push a number one through five, you have a lot of choices. There are mm-hmm. no dialogue wheels here. Mm-hmm. There is oh, there is only like, oh, do you have enough? Uh, do you have enough lore mm-hmm. to to say this? Do you have enough uh, perception to say this? Um, it's I've been getting really into it. Now the thing is, the party system in this game is kind of interesting. So first of all, if you are worried about death, you better be because if your characters die, the people you're working with die, game over. Mm-hmm. They, 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 as in those characters Perma-death. are dead. Permadeath, gone, whatever. The um, if your main character, although at least the very humorous situations where I told a character to go to this other side of this bridge mm-hmm. that had traps on it, and I assumed the game would like, oh, the character has recognized this bridge is full of traps. He will not immediately walk through the bridge and blow himself up, mm-hmm. but instead, both characters immediately walked. Other guy died, and then it's like, oh well, lost him. Guess I'm oh, continuing well. with this quest. Um, that sucks. Uh, it's. It is a, it's fun. I'm mm-hmm. enjoying the way the battle system is laid out. It is fairly simple when it comes down to it. The, it is not all that. Ch- I've set myself up for normal and I've left tutorials on, so it's not super challenging. Mm-hmm. And it seems to ease you into it. It, I imagine for someone who plays Baldur's Gate, you can ramp up the challenge to however difficult you want, all the way to making um, the save system even more complicated. Mm-hmm. But. I don't know. I'm having fun. Yeah. Um, is there anything like? Have you so, been looking for? Have you been looking for a Baldur's Gate time game to I go mean, back to? Kind of. Yeah. I I've wanted a game that is D and D e for a while because I yeah. feel like the way we have D and D now is always through the lens of something. Right. Um. And I've always wanted a game that is much very very strictly like, hey, we are just trying to recreate D and D here. So I like the idea of doing that. So I find without the D and D like background, it might be sort of strange. Yeah, it just it feels like there's a lot of one to ones. Like, oh, mm-hmm. we couldn't use this thing, so instead we use this thing. Well mass mass effect like Mass Effect to Star Trek. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. So in but the um with when it comes to to um, the kind of D and D ness of a game, it is extremely obvious that this is basically a D and D campaign that they made. Yeah. To the point that like um, the way it's structured is, hey, you are a mu- you are a group of thi- you are in a caravan of people. A thing happens. Now you deal with that thing. You get war. That leads to another event that traps you into a, a plot. You determine. You become. Like it's a series. It's more of a series of a coincidences right. than it is like, oh, I guess we got to hook this campaign into this campaign now. What, um, what's so fascinating about the way? I mean, it's interesting these two games come out so like Bloodborne and Pillar of Eternity come like next to each other because it's so funny how they like theoretically Bloodborne is a low narrative open world game and theoretically Pillars of Eternity is a high narrative campaign focused experience. But you get these two games together and one of them is like it's hyperlinear and I don't know where I'm going and the other <laughs> one is it's all over the place and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> the um 
Yeah, I mean, like, part of the fun of Pillars of Earth is you kind of make your own way. I mean, I, I assume that once I get down to the, once I get down to, like, dealing with the actual main plot again, mm-hmm. it'll be more linear. I mean, the next step in getting to the main plot is like, oh, hey, I gotta go to this other town and meet with someone else. But the... But you know, there are structured side quests, which Bloodborne does not have, which no. you'd expect in a game that is theoretically open world. Yeah, I mean, the, th- the interesting thing I find about this is that they're kind of vastly different interpretations of what a Western RPG is. Mm-hmm. They both kind of have that same kind that same setting that they're drawing off hey you are a dude with a sword or a weapon and you have to be very careful about your environment but the interpretation of how to take that is is so is kind of so disparate so like for instance with with Bloodborne I feel like you you can kind of get off on side quests and that there are all oh. these there are all these different areas to There explore. are other things to do and you really don't have to fight most of the bosses. Yeah. But the game very much funnels you towards these certain events and set pieces that it wants you to do to the point where Bloodborne feels a lot more like an action game than it does an RPG at a lot of places. Yeah. Um, I always I always felt like the fun thing of Dark Souls was that it basically said, hey, here's this world. Go. Like, you can, you can go downstairs. I mean, you'll die. You'll mm-hmm. die real fast if you go downstairs, but Go. Yeah, do um, it. Which is exciting, but I feel like Bloodborne gives you too much warning. Right. Bloodborne often feels like things come out of nowhere, but they never kill me. Um, the, 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 like, the portal thing feels random. It doesn't right. feel like, oh, this is, this this is here to, I to watch out me. for. Yeah. Uh, so I, and, and maybe it's something that matters later. Apparently it is. But I, I have this feeling like this game was sort of made with a deliberate focus on bringing in new players, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like it has that bite that a Souls game has. And I think Pillars of Eternity might for someone who's looking for that Baldur's Gate type itch to scratch. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, the the difficulty in that game is so variable. So mm. as a result, you end up with, um, you kind of want to, it can be as difficult as you want it to be and as challenging as you want it to be. Um, if you found Dragon Age to be particularly difficult, I mean, I don't mm. think, you're not a big fan of Dragon Age. I'm not a big fan of Dragon Age 1, no. No, but this game, t- I mean. I'm going to try Inquisition, I swear I will. <laughs> but... <laughs> This game is very, it's like, it goes back to basics of all that stuff. It is, hey man, did you like Baldur's Gate? Did you like Icewind Dale? Did mm. you like... A- I do like Icewind Dale. Yeah, that's, if, if you are a fan of those games, um, we have everything ready for you. There is a switch in the options menu that enables big head mode. We are ready. <laughs> um... Do you like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater too? <laughs> You're gonna love Bloodborne. Unfortunately, there's no Spider-Man in this game. Uh, alas, you can make Tobias Funke in Bloodborne, though. You can. My brother spends every time we game with the character creator making Tobias Funke. He is the president of, of Earth in Saints Row, and also, and also the hunter of Bloodborne. Does he still know? Is he still a non a, a never nude? I mean, he can be. Okay. But it would be inefficient for gameplay. <laughs> in Bloodborne, at least, not. Trust me, not in Saints Row. Uh, okay, so I feel like that's uh, we did a kind of sufficient exploration of what sure. like, Western RPG is on both these games. Yep. Um, is there anything like any final intri- like thing that you find you want to find out from like uh, Pillars of Eternity? Pillars of Eternity. Is it fun? Yeah, I mean, because that's that's my always my biggest worry with these like really hardcore CRPGs. Like, is it actually entertaining or is it RPG busy work that we enjoy because we're RPG fans? I think it. I think it's more accessible than than usual the, the usual RPG games again because there is that that variability mm-hmm. and it, it kind of eases you into things to the point that it's a little annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, look, I know what a yeah. health bar is. I have a big problem with Bloodborne too, where it doesn't quite give a health bar, but it slowly drip feeds you the like your options and your 
your your different gameplay systems. Like, I still don't have the ability to equip, like, the runes, which are my character-building items. You can't level up until you beat the first boss, which is very Dark Souls, but also sort of weird. There's a lot of places where I feel like there, there is this trend of, again, accessibility is not a bad thing, but yeah. there is a point where I'm just like, I just sort of want you to give me everything. That is what yeah. I want from this game. That's kind of what I like about D&D, this overwhelming sense of, like, there's a billion mechanics and not for me to understand. Yeah, and to some extent, like, Pillars of Eternity allows you to kind of replicate that feeling of D&D in the sense that it's like, look, there is a rule book, mm-hmm. there's a thing that everything f- follows, and if you want to get deep into that, y- that is available to you. Mm-hmm. But if you want to become the guy who, like, sees, an, sees a random creature in, a, in another room and says, hey, dude, do you mind if we go through here instead of fighting them? That's an option. It's it gives you gives you kind of a great variability in what you want to do. It is to some extent busy work. It is yeah. to some extent, hey, I, this guy went missing. How you want to find this man? And like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll go to here. I mean, I'll go back to the inn. Mm-hmm. Um, the but I I feel like as it is right now, it is a more accessible version of that kind of game mm-hmm. it's not going to be for everyone yeah. and I think Bloodborne's the same way Definitely. almost identical like, that's the exact same way I would describe like this is if you haven't liked Dark Souls you should give this a shot but I, if you fundamentally didn't like Dark Souls if you thought you might like Dark Souls but this isn't it Bloodborne will be the game. If you fundamentally didn't like Dark Souls, Bloodborne won't do it for you. Yeah, and I feel the same way with Pillars of Eternity. It's it's weird. That, that's kind of why I group these two yeah. together because it's kind of weird how like they're, they're, they're very interesting parallels, especially because one's a hardcore old style Western <laughs> RPG made by a Western developer, and one's this hardcore new style Western RPG made by a Japanese developer. Yeah, like they have nothing in common, <laughs> but they end up they're so paralleled perfectly. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode. I've been Armin Bali. I've been Daniel Rosen. And uh, if you like Western RPGs, shoot us a line in the comments. Till then, uh, you can find us online at builttoplay.ca. That's builttoplay.ca on the internet. you got to type that into your browser. Type that into your browser. Um, say a prayer. Say a prayer. Uh, shake a rosary. Um, turn on the lamp. Turn on the lamp twice. Yeah. Twice. And say two, Biggie Smalls three times in the mirror. <laughs> and then you will arrive at builttoplay.ca. That's also how, coincidentally, that's also how you can follow us at, at built to play on Twitter. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, same same thing. It gets everything done for you. It's a magical ritual. It gets you at Flarkcon. That's Armin Agbali, F-L-A-R-K-C-O-N. It gets you at Daniel underscore Rosen. Um, it's all of these things. It's like uh, you get sent to the Hunter's Dream, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff is just going to be There's just a doll there, there and she'll yeah. just tell you, would you like to follow these people on Twitter? You would. They're very good on Twitter. Anyway, again, thank you for listening, and hope you enjoyed today's show. <laughs>